All right. Well, hey, um, I am uh, really excited about this series. I've been looking forward to it for a while. In fact, this series has been on our radar as a church for about two years. Um, we've known, like, hey, this is something that we want to talk about. This is something we want to talk about. And uh, this series is actually based on the book by the same title called How Not to Read the Bible. Um, How Not to Read the Bible is a book by Dan Kimball. And so, listen, if uh, this content interests you, we're going to be kind of hitting the high points of this book. Uh, if you want to go a little bit deeper, I would highly recommend picking the book up. Again, that's How Not to Read the Bible by Dan Kimball. Um, Dan is a, uh, a seminary professor. He's also a pastor, so he gives you like the, uh, like the educational side of things, but also like very practical. Um, it's a very accessible book. It's not like written at a high level. Uh, anybody can read it, and he's got like a great sense of humor, and there are several like pictures of memes scattered throughout, so that's always a bonus. Again, that's how not to read the Bible. And when I read this uh, two years ago, roughly, uh, I was like, we got to talk about this. And, and the reason why I thought we got to talk about this as a church really is, is for two reasons, that there's two groups of people that I want to talk to uh, and kind of two uh, issues that I want to address within that, within those kind of two groups of people. And so uh, the first group, whenever we're talking about the series, is for those of us that would call ourselves Christians, followers of Jesus, uh, we're disciples of Jesus, right? Um, this is for us because I'm going on a little over, I think, a decade now in vocational ministry, which is hard for me to get my mind around, and several years kind of in a volunteer role before that. And one of the things that's come up over and over and over and over again um, from my time working with students, I would hear kids saying this, to also young adults, to even like senior, you know, Christians, I'll say that nicely, See, experienced Christians, been following Jesus for 30 plus years, I would hear a similar story that say, hey, you know what? I just don't, like, I'm a Christian, but I don't read the Bible, I don't read the scriptures. It just, it's just not part of my life. And there'd be different perspectives for why that was. Some would say, well, I just don't think it's important. Like, I have conversations with people like, yeah, I'm a Christian, I follow Jesus, I go to church, but like, the Bible, whatever. And I'm like, respectfully, how do you know who Jesus is then? Because you might have a crazy Jesus that's not actually the real Jesus. But I think the more common one I would hear was, I know I should, and I know it's good, and I want to, but when I open up the Bible, man, it is confusing. And it is hard, and I don't know what to do with it. There's, like the video said, there's weird stories. There's all this stuff that seems so foreign to me, and so I don't read it. One of the other things I would see from Christians is, you know, people who do read it but kind of read it poorly and get some wacky theology, and it's like they do just things. I'm like, that, that, that ain't in there, right? Like that's just, that's not, that's not it. Or mistreat people based on what the Bible says so, and it's like, do we need to know how to read this thing right? And so for one group of us, those of us that are followers of Jesus, that's, that's who this series is for and what we're, what we're aiming for. For another group, um, for those of you maybe here in the room or watching online, that you'd say, I'm not a Christian. Maybe I used to be and I'm not anymore and I've left that behind or I never have been. I want to talk to you as well. There's a cultural phenomenon right now that's happening really all over the place in every area. And this is a thing called deconstruction. That it is a move in our culture right now to like basically say, let's tear down everything, all the old ways, all the old traditions, all the old ways of doing things, system structures, like tear it down, and maybe we'll build something back. Probably not. We're just going to tear everything down. And that kind of arises out of postmodern thought. Like I said, in every area of culture, it's definitely crept into the church and into faith as well. And I've seen this over and over. People said, I'm no longer a Christian. I've, I've torn down my inherited religion and my upbringing and all those things. Uh, and, you know, shameless plug, some of you know that Pastor Paul and I do a, a podcast um, called HC Conversation that usually drops about once a month. Um, that's starting back up this month. We took a break for the summer. This whole season, we're actually going to be talking about deconstruction, so within the faith area. So if you want to tune into that, HC Conversations, you can find that. Uh, but one of the primary things that gets cited, people say, I used to be a Christian. I'm not anymore because of something I read in the Bible. 
I just couldn't, I couldn't make these dots connect. There was just something that was too hard. It was too confusing. It just seemed too contradictory. It seemed like God was just a, a psychopath or, or something like that, right? Uh, and so like, we want to address some of those things and say, wait a minute, is that actually true? Or has that been a particular way of viewing the Bible that isn't actually um, honoring to what it actually is, that, that isn't actually taking it serious? And so for those of us that are Christians, my, my prayer is we would come out of the series with a stronger faith. Was saying, you know what, I know the scripture is important. I want to engage in the scripture. I want you to have a confidence in your faith. Um, I want you to be able to defend it, not like in a, you know, like a jerk kind of way. It says, yeah, I'm going to show you that you're wrong and I'm right. But whenever you bump up against some of these ideas and culture for you to go, you know what, that doesn't bother me. Like I, I, I'm solid in my faith. I know what the scripture says and I know why I believe it. Uh, and also to be able to do that in a way that is intelligent, thoughtful, compassionate and say, I can be an intelligent, thoughtful, compassionate human being living in the 21st century and still take the scripture seriously. For another group, again, for those of you that aren't Christians, maybe you were, maybe you never have been, my goal in the series is just to move one of the, one of the barriers, one of the excuses. I'm not going to say after it, you're going to be like, all right, I believe all of it now, because you may, may still have some other hangups about the faith, but at the end of the series to go, okay, the excuse that I don't have anymore is that there's weird stuff in the Bible. I have something to do with that now. So that's where we're going. Uh, it's going to be six weeks, including today. Today, I'm telling you, it's just going to be groundwork. It's an introduction. We're kind of laying a foundation. And because of that, um, today is going to kind of seem like a lecture, not so much a sermon. And I, I would say I apologize for that, but I don't really. So <laughs> it's just, it's just, it's got to be done, right? Like, it's not going to be like, hey, here's a passage. Let's talk about this. It's going to, we are laying the foundation for where we're going in the coming weeks because we're going to get some tools today um, that in the coming weeks we're going to use. And in the coming weeks, we're going to ask things and dive into things like, is the Bible pro-slavery? Because we hear that. Is, is the Bible anti-science? Is the Bible misogynistic? What about God's violence that we see in the Bible? And what about like the Bible being exclusive or uh, intolerant of other beliefs? That those are the things we're going to cover, but today is the groundwork. And so what I want to do over the course of the next few minutes is give us four principles or four tools. Um, so if you're like a notes person, these are like the four things you're probably going to want to write down. That whenever we engage with the scriptures, before we ever like open this thing up and say, okay, I'm going to read this and, and try to figure it out what it means for my life. Before we ever do that, we've got to keep these four things in mind. And so here is the first one. First one is the Bible is a library and not a book. The Bible is a library and not a book. You know, the, the thing is like we, we come to this and it looks like a book, right? It feels like a book. It's got pages like a book. It's got kind of like chapters like a book. It's got page numbers. It's got a cover. Like you might see this on a shelf with other books. And so it's like, yeah, this seems like a book, but it's not. Uh, here's what uh, Dan, uh, the author of, of How Not to Read the Bible, here's how he puts things. He says, although the Bible often comes in print form as a single book, it's actually a collection of 66 books printed in one volume. It is a library of books. And this library is diverse, containing writings of history, poetry, prophecy, and law. This library of diverse books was written in three different languages over a 1,500-year period by a whole bunch of different people from different cultures. The Bible's a library, not a book. And, and, I mean, like, and, and again, the, the vast array of genres and stories and people and their backgrounds and, and what they had been through and the languages that they write in and the time periods that they write in, like we, we almost have to approach each one through the proper lens to be able to know what, what we're doing. And then there's this other thing, though, that's crazy. Even though this is true, 1,500-year period, different languages, different cultures, over 40 different authors, it still tells a unified story. Like, there is a thread that runs all the way through it, which makes things astounding, but it is a library. 
I know people don't go into libraries nearly as much anymore as they used to. I can't tell you. I'm grateful for public libraries. They are a great service in our community. I take advantage of resources from our public library, but I don't ever actually go into the library. Uh, and a lot of people, they, they just don't. But I want you to imagine, maybe the last time you were in a library, maybe it's been a minute, Okay. And I want you to picture yourself going into the library. I'd say you could go across the street and go to the library, but it's closed because it's Sunday. And it'll probably be closed tomorrow too because it's a holiday. So maybe Tuesday. Tuesday, go to the library, walk into the library, and just look around. And you're going to see like uh, there's an upstairs, there's a downstairs, and there's different sections of books everywhere. And there's a section of fiction, and then there's nonfiction, and there's, maybe there's a section of, of history books, and there's a science section, there's a biography section, and then there's even subsections within the section. So you go, and I, I want to go into the, the science area, and now, now here's a whole shelf that's just all full of chemistry. Here's a shelf that's all full of biology. Here's a, on and on and on it goes, right? Different sections and different books, and there's shelves and shelves and shelves. That should be the picture that we have in our mind whenever we go to the scriptures, I'm walking into a library. I'm looking at different shelves. I'm using the Dewey Decimal System. No, I'm not. <laughs> Some of you are like, I don't even know what the heck that is, okay? I barely do. I, but I do remember a little bit, a little bit, like middle school or was it grade school. They taught us how to do it, and I don't remember how to do it, but yeah, it was there, okay? It was a thing. Google it. Uh, but you go into a library, and so this is how we approach the Bible. It's a shelf. We've got all the books on different shelves, and there's different sections, and so you'll encounter a section of books that are known as law. And this isn't law like modern law. These these books are ancient law code given to the Jewish people living thousands of years ago. Law that made sense in their time, in their culture, to their neighbors. It was like, yeah, this is, this is on par for how we view and see the world. You're going to come across books that we, we uh, refer to as books of history. They tell the story, the history of the nation of Israel, and what God was doing in and through that nation. You're going to come across a boatload of poetry. There's so much poetry in the Bible, and it's, it's vast. Some of it, a lot of it is set to music. It's worship. Some of it is, is celebrating and thanking God for, for what he's done. Other parts of it are just like lament and crying out, and life is terrible, and everything is awful. Like, it, it, it runs the, 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 whole, the whole gamut there. Uh, there. There's poetry that's just full of wisdom um, that, that talks about these principles for life. There's poetry that is like incredibly erotic, romantic imagery of, of like uh, this romantic relationship between husband and a wife. Like there's poetry everywhere. And then we come across these things that are prophets. The, these, these leaders that God would use to speak to his people, to the nation of Israel, usually when they were in exile and had turned their backs on him and God says, okay, come back to me. He would use the prophets to do that. And a lot of times the prophets had this kind of future-looking language, and they're pointing to a future hope, we, we encounter the Gospels, these historical biographic narratives of the life of Jesus. It's not straight-up history like we encounter a history textbook. It's not straight-up narrative like we're just reading a story. It's not straight-up biography like we'd open up a biography of somebody's life. It's like the blending together of all three of those, which is a common way of doing things at that time and that place. You come into a history of the church in the book of Acts, after the, the, the Jesus movement got started, we have about the first 30-ish years of here's what happened after Jesus ascended. And then you have all these, second part of the, of the New Testament, these epistles, letters that are written to people. The apostles are, are literally, we were reading someone else's mail. The, the apostles had some, like a church, a group of people in mind, like, hey, I'm going to write them a letter. And now we have it today. And we get to be, we just got a letter. We just got a letter. Yeah. You're welcome. You're welcome for, for thinking that all day it's going to be in your head. But, like, that's what it is. It's like it's somebody else's mail. We just picked it up and went, huh, okay. We've got all of this within the scriptures, different genres. And not only that, but, man, a lot of the books, there's genres within genres. Poetry does this all the time. 
you'll open up a, a book of the Bible and then you'll come across sections of poetry. Most of our modern translations will have them kind of like uh, set aside so they'll be like indented and the spacing's weird. And you see like pairings of lines. You're reading poetry when that happens. And so you open up Genesis. It's chocked full of poetry. You open up the prophetic books and it's just usually every time God speaks, it's in this like poetic, like these, these stances. We, we uh, I mean, here, the thing is, like, it's crazy. We think about the whole of the scripture, percentage-wise, 43% of it is narrative. It's story. It's stuff that's got plot and conflict and conflict resolution. And it's, it's telling you what happened. And we can learn things by reading what happened, but it's not always this direct thing, here's what you should go do. It's 43% narrative. It's another 33% poetry. 33% poetry. If you're mathing like I'm mathing, that's 76% of narrative and poetry. The remaining 24% is what we would call prose discourse. Somebody talking to somebody, giving instruction. Here's what you should do. You know, the epistles are a lot of this. 24%. The crazy thing is when we go to scripture, we tend to treat the whole thing like it's that prose discourse. Like it's the scripture, read it and do it. It's like, Bro, you'll go to jail if you do some of this, okay? Like, this is not, this is not for us, and we'll get to that uh, in a little bit. We've got to know what, uh, what genre we're in. So do this exercise with me. You picture yourself, you're going over to the library, right? You're going to rent a couple of books, check out a couple of books, borrow a couple of books. You rent them. It's a VHS. You can do the same thing, okay? You're going to go rent. I used to get VHS at the library when I was a kid. Oh, those were the days. You're going to get some books. You're going to check some books out of the library and say you want a book of poetry, and so you get this, this book of poetry, and then also you're like, you know what, give me a book of, of, of history, uh, 20th century history. There is no way you would take those two books home and expect them to communicate to you in the exact same way. In fact, you, you, already, you already have that presupposition, and so because I know they're not going to communicate to me in the same way, I'm going to bring different tools to the text. I'm going to read them differently and understand they're communicating differently. And then you ask the really fun question. You evaluate both those books, the 20th century history book and the book of poetry, and you ask, is this true? And the answer is yes, they're both true, but not in the same way. The history book is true because it's like these are things that happened, these are names, these are dates, these are places. And you'd say, but is the poetry true? And you'd say, well, not like literally because it's using hyperbole and the, the personification of inanimate objects and metaphor and all these things that on the surface aren't true. But then you say, but it's actually communicating something that is true of the human experience, of emotion, of the way we experience the world. And we know that when we go to different books and different things. But so often when we go to the scripture, we read it flat. Like it's just, just all one thing, all one kind, of, all one kind of, of text and go, okay, it is what it is. We have to understand what kind of, of literature we're reading. So it's a library, not a book. Second, second thing to understand as we kind of approach the scripture is that the Bible was written for us, but it is not written to us. The Bible wasn't written to you. And depending on maybe your upbringing, if you kind of grew up around a church and a specific style of church, you're going to be like, yeah, it was. I was always told the Bible is God's love letter to me. And it's like, one, that's really cliche. Two, it's not written to you. It's not written to us. Uh, there's an Old Testament uh, professor by the name of Dr. John Walton. He's kind of famous for saying this. He says, we believe that the Bible is written for us, that it's, it's for everyone of all times and all places because it's God's word. It's for everyone. It's for people living 2,000 years ago in the Roman Empire. It's for us today. It'll be for people living 2,000 years from now, assuming the world is still around. God's word is for everyone because it's his word, but it isn't written to us. It wasn't written in our language. It wasn't written with our culture in mind or our culture in view. 
It's for us, but it's not to us. What that means is when we approach the scripture, we have to do interpretation before we do application. So often we open up the scripture and we, we, we go, okay, I'm going to read this. <clears throat> what does this mean for my life? And that's, a, that's an important question to ask. Application is important. In fact, we talk about that all the time. The way that we do messages, the way we do small group stuff, like we're always driving towards, hey, it's not enough just to know God's word. We want to we do it. We want to live it out. We want to respond to this. You know, we take the words of Jesus serious and the Sermon on the Mount, and he gets done and says, hey, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice, that person is wise. That person is building their life on rock, on solid foundations. So we're like, absolutely, application. But we have to do interpretation first. Because if we apply something that, isn't actually true, it's like, well, it's not going to have the result. It's not going to result in us living for Christ in the way that he calls us to. We've got to do interpretation. So before we can ever ask, what does, it, what does it mean for me, we just have to ask, what does it mean? Who was the original audience? Who was the author? When was this written? What was going on in the world at the time that this was written? Like, uh, what, was, was it the nation at war? Were they in exile? Like, what, what group of people are we talking about? What was the culture like? And then we discover, okay, this is what it meant to them. Now, let me take that idea, I take that principle and understand how does that relate to my life in my experience here and now in the 21st century. There's a couple passages of scripture that point to this, this, this idea that scripture is for us, but it's not to us. So the Apostle Paul, uh, one of those guys that writes a lot of those epistles, those letters, we're reading somebody else's mail. Uh, he writes a couple of letters to a guy named Timothy, who was uh, kind of his protege. Uh, Paul was training Timothy to be a church leader. Timothy's a younger guy. Timothy's leading in a church, and Paul writes him and says, hey, here's what you need to do. This will help you out. And he talks to him about how to approach the scripture. This is in 2 Timothy chapter 3. Paul tells Timothy that all scripture is God-breathed. That is, that it's inspired by God. That humans wrote this, but it wasn't just uh, on their own. That God was, the Spirit of God was working and moving through the human authors, and that also means because it's God, God breathed, that there's power to it. The Scripture can do things in our life that go that goes beyond just our ability to say, "Well, I did some stuff," or "I learned some stuff." It's God breathed, but then He also says it's useful. See, like there's God's power to it, and there's a spiritual sense to it, but it's not just, you know, some spiritual thing that has no practicality. No, it's practical in our everyday life for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that, so that the, the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And so, hey, the scripture, it's God-breathed, and it's useful, like, to an end. There's, there's something that's going to happen so that you may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. It's for you. It, it, the, the scripture is it, it's for you so that you can be equipped for every good work. That means if you're a follower of Jesus, everything that you do in your life, the scripture has something to say about it. Maybe not directly like, you know, how do I you know, choose where I want to go to school or something like that. But the scripture is going to make you wise. It's going to give you teaching. It's going to give you insight. It's going, to, it's going to shape you into the right kind of human so that you are equipped for every good work. For, for, the, for the way that you go to work, for the way you carry yourself, for the way that you think and act and live in the world, for, for the way that you do friendships, if you're single, the way you treat your single life, if you're married, the way you treat your marriage, the way you treat kids, if you have kids, like the scripture is going to come along and say, I have something to offer in that. I'm going to train you and equip you. And it says, this is how it does it. It, it teaches us, right? It says, here's the right path to take. Here's the way to live. Here's how to think. It rebukes us. That whenever we're not doing what's right, the scripture comes along and calls us on it and says, stop it. Like, that's going to lead to destruction. That's going to lead to pain. That's going to lead to suffering. But then it doesn't just, you know, rebuke us and point a finger and say, you're terrible. No, the scripture comes along and corrects and says, hey, you're going down the wrong path. Let me show you the right path. 
and it trains us in righteousness, just right living. The scripture is for you. It does these things in your life, but it's not written to you. And so a chapter earlier, again, Paul writing to Timothy, he says this, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. Says that there's a way to correctly handle the scriptures. If there's a way to correctly handle it, then there's several ways that we can incorrectly handle it. There are things that we can do with this that just aren't what this was made for. He says you need to correctly handle the word of truth, and I would argue that one of the ways of correctly handling it is understanding that this was not written to me. It's for me, but it's not to me, because I am not an ancient Near Eastern Hebrew. I'm not a Jewish person living in exile in the Babylonian Empire. I'm not a first century Jew who's wondering if their Messiah was here in this Jesus or if he's just a crazy guy. I'm not a first century Roman citizen trying to figure out life in the Roman Empire while I follow Jesus. That's who the scripture was to. It was to them, but it's for us. So we got to cross that bridge of, okay, what did it mean to them? So now what does it mean to me? The Bible's written to us, but not for us. Third principle, never read a Bible verse in isolation. Never read a Bible verse in isolation. Um, you know, the verses uh, and the uh, chapter divisions that we have in, in our Bibles did not come along until uh, about the year 1560. Um, and so, you know, 1,500 years after Jesus, uh, about 1,200 years after the first kind of bound up Bible that, that we had. Uh, and they were put in there as a tool, a tool that I'm very grateful for because it, it helps us to find stuff, right? I mean, can, can you imagine you're trying to read the Bible and you're trying to find something and you're like, I'm gonna read and you have no, you, there's no chapters or verses. So you're just like, okay, Lord, help me. I mean, sometimes we do that anyway, right? Like, come on. Don't tell me you've never been like, what am I gonna read today? This. Oh, apparently I'm just gonna read the entire New Testament. <laughs> it's gonna be a long day. Right, but it's like the chapters and verses, they're, they're, they're there to be helpful, right? They help us to find things, but the downside is they almost train us to view things in chunks and in isolation and think that this thing I'm reading right here doesn't relate at all to what came before it or after it. No, it's all part of a unified story. Every single verse in scripture is part of a, of a larger whole, part of a larger story of a God who loves his creation, who loves people, even though people continually turn their back on him and give him the middle finger, but God is pursuing them and chasing them down, and he sends his son to redeem them. Every verse fits in that story somewhere. In fact, uh, we've got a little graphic for this. I, don't know if you're going to be able to see the details exactly. This comes out of the book, How Not to Read the Bible, and it kind of breaks up the acts of the story of God. If you look across the top, you have uh, the triune God who exists from eternity past to eternity present. Across the bottom, you have the books of the Bible listed out. And here in the middle, you have the, the story unfolding. And so act one of the story of God, God creates a beautiful world. He creates humanity as the pinnacle of that creation. He wants to dwell with those people and says, you will be my image bearers. That is, we will represent God to the world. We will be his partners in this creation to bring beauty, to bring flourishing, to bring order to the world. But that project quickly goes off the rails. And so act two is human rebellion. Sin and evil come into the world result in the pain and suffering that we see today. I love the way that Dan illustrates this at the bottom too, because he's got, he's got uh, this illustrated by a mushroom cloud. And then throughout the rest of the story, you'll see traces of radiation, because that's sin. 
right? There was a moment when sin and evil came into the world, but we still live in a world that is uh, infected by it, that it's everywhere. Uh, that, that sin coming into the world was, this, it was a spiritual nuclear event. Sin coming into the world was like the spiritual Chernobyl, okay? There was the moment that it happened, but it has been nothing but death since then. And so that's act two, and that, that fallout continues. Act three, redemption is initiated. This is the act where you find Israel's story, and so there's subdivisions in there. The part where God chooses Israel and says, I'm going to use you to, to, to finish this and to bring people back and to, to make things right. And Israel's like, okay. And you turn the page, and the next part of Israel's story is they fail at that miserably. You turn the page, and the next part of Israel's story within, within this act is they're in exile, but then the prophets come along and say, there's still hope, and God is still going to do this, and the Messiah is still coming. And we get to this, this moment of interlude, the time between the Testaments. There's about 400 years, it's oftentimes called 400 years of silence between the closing of the Old Testament and the opening of the New. Act 4, Jesus shows up on the scene and redemption is provided. The life, death, and resurrection of Jesus brings about the redemption of humanity uh, that, that we've been looking for since the rebellion. Act 5, the mission to all the nations. This, by the way, is the act that we're living in right now. Jesus has come, redemption is here, but he's not returned, and there's a mission to all the nations. We talked about this in our last series sent together, saying, hey, we're on mission, man. Like God, the gospel is going out, the kingdom is growing, the kingdom is expanding, and we are called to be a part of that mission, to go and to tell the world. And we're awaiting Act 6, when the redemption is completed, when God returns again to dwell with his people, new heavens and new earth. This is the story in every single verse in the Bible finds itself somewhere in that story. And you got to know what part of the story you're reading or else things get weird really, really quick. Because if, if you try to say, hey, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to take something from, you know, this story here of Israel's story and I'm going to try to transport it up into here into this mission to all nations, it just doesn't work. This is where I get into some of, like I said, you'll go to jail, okay? You try to follow some of those Old Testament laws, it's like you're just there's just animals dying everywhere, okay? We're just going to leave it at that, right? That's why I chose the red pen. That, that was actually just a happy little accident. Um, some of you got that, some of you didn't. It's okay, we're moving on. Okay, but you got to know where you are in the story to make it make sense. So don't ever just read a Bible verse. Don't ever read a Bible verse. We've got to ask the question, what does the surrounding chapter say? What is, the, what is the whole book that it's in? What's the main theme of that? And where does that fit in the larger story? Final thing for understanding the scripture. Point number four, and this is the most important one. The entire Bible points to Jesus. The whole thing, from cover to cover, is about Jesus. The, the, the whole thing is pointing to him, to, to, to needing him, to him showing up, to reflecting back on him. It is all about him. I, I'm going to talk about them a little bit later, but there's this thing called the Bible Project, and they, they always have this tagline that the Bible is a unified story that leads to Jesus. That's what it is. It leads to him. There's a moment um, in the Gospel of Luke that points to this, that puts us very succinctly. Uh, and so this is uh, after the death and resurrection of Jesus. It's the Sunday of the resurrection, and there's starting to be some Jesus sightings. And some people are like, he's alive, I've seen him. And other people are like, no, you're crazy. Uh, and Luke brings us this account of a couple of really unnamed, unknown disciples that are walking down a road to a place called Emmaus. Uh, and Jesus shows up, and they don't recognize him because there's something transformed about his resurrected body. And he's just kind of like, hey, guys. What you talking about? And they're like, what? Are you, are you crazy? How do you not know what's happened? And they're like, you know, we, Jesus showed up and we thought he was the Messiah and then our leaders killed him and we got crazy people saying he's alive. And, and Jesus kind of gently rebukes them. He's like, you fools. 
He went Gandalf on him. Okay, you fools. Had to get a Lord of the Rings reference in today too. Had to happen. Had to happen. Um, And he begins to explain to them that all that was supposed to happen because that's been in the scriptures the entire time. This is Luke chapter 24, verse 27. It says, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted for them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. So with Moses and the prophets, this is one of the ways that the Jewish people at that time referred to what we would call the Old Testament. Sometimes you'll see it written as the law and the prophets or Moses and the prophets. So he goes through the whole thing, the whole Old Testament, and he, he shows them how it's all been about him. Now, I don't know if, if he was like giving them the bullet point version or this was a really long walk, but he's like, hey guys, we, I gotta tell you, okay? This was all supposed to happen. My life, death, and resurrection, here's what it was gonna be like when the Messiah showed up and I have fulfilled all of this. It's all about him. It's all about him. From the earliest pages, Genesis 3, that, that you know, evil and sin come into the world and the fallout begins and, and, and there's this line that, that God speaks to Eve and says, hey, your offspring... So so a human one is going to come along and crush the head of the snake, the serpent, the the figure of evil and chaos. And so from that moment on, you're you're waiting for, you're anticipating, when's the snake crusher coming? And then you move on from there, and now there's the story of Abraham. I want to use you to to bless the entire world. And you get a little bit further, and you you see this nation of Israel, and then there's the the, the pinnacle of kind of like their kingdom and their kingship. It's this guy named David, and God's like, actually, a king from the line of David is going to come. So they're waiting for this this king. You get into the prophets whenever the nation's in exile, and all of a sudden, like this prophetic hope keeps being declared by the prophets about this Messiah that would come. And the picture gets clearer that this would be a Messiah who would suffer. And you read the, the, the famous suffering servant passage of Isaiah that just describes what Jesus went through to a T. And then you hit the Gospels, and there he is, bringing to fulfillment all the promises, everything of the Old Testament, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And then you you get past the Gospels into Acts and the Epistles, and they're reflecting back. They're looking back on Jesus. None of that is like new ideas or new material. That's them looking at the life, the teaching, the example, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus and saying, here's now how we should live. Here's what we should do. And that's what we're called to as well. Let's look to Jesus. We see him in the Scriptures. This whole thing has been about him. We can't forget that the entire Bible points to Jesus. It centers us. That grounds us. So that when we do come across verses and passages that are like, that's confusing and I have no idea what to do with that and that, that seems to be a problem. How do, I, how do I address that? How do I handle that? Like this is the thing that goes, okay, but it's all about Jesus. Because, man, we, we can practice this an entire lifetime, and it will take an entire lifetime. We're not going to be experts at this. But we can do this, and we can do the work, and still get to a point where, like, I don't understand this passage. And this is hard. And in those moments, we go, but here's what I do know. I know who God is. I know his character. It's been revealed in Christ. And I will let what I do know about Jesus fill in the gaps of what I don't know about this particular passage. The whole thing, the whole thing is about Jesus. So, now you're probably thinking this sounds like a lot of work, and it is. There, there's no way of sugarcoating that, right? There's no like, no, you guys, it's easy, okay? This is nothing. This takes work. It takes a lifetime of work. Again, like, don't, don't think because I'm your pastor that I'm like, oh, yeah, like, I'm so good at this. It's like, no, like, this is a learning process. I'm constantly reading and growing and, and doing things, and, and the, the truth is, until Jesus takes us home, we will never be all the way there. It's a lifetime process. It takes a lot of work but I also know that it's worth it. It's worth it. Anything that, this is just a a principle of life. Anything in life that is worth it, anything that has a reward, anything that leads to something good, it's always hard. 
Like easy, thing, like, easy things are never the things that you're like, this was the best thing ever. It's always like, man, that was okay. Man, it's the things that take work that lead to life. And it's the same is true of reading scripture, and it is so worth it because what will happen is whenever you engage the Bible in this way, you will have an encounter with Jesus because the whole thing is about him. So, so when we read it in this way, we actually see him for who he is. We see the real Jesus because doing this and reading the Bible is not about knowing the Bible. It's about knowing the one whom the Bible reveals. It's about the written word revealing the word become flesh, Jesus. And it's only when you see the real thing, the real Jesus, that you experience the real hope, the real power, the real transformation, the real the life that he offers when we don't settle for a counterfeit version. And so, yes, it takes work, but it is so, so worth it. It's so worth it. And so let me uh, close things out by just giving you a couple of tools, a couple of resources, because again, we like application and I don't want to just say, hey, go do this, figure it out. But here's some tools uh, that you can maybe use. I've already talked about the first one that the series is based on, How Not to Read the Bible. That was a really bad star, but okay. Uh, how Not to Read the Bible. Again, pick this book up, uh, give it a read. It's really, really good. Another great resource is a book by uh, a New Testament scholar by the name of Scott McKnight. It's called The Blue Parakeet. I don't even, I can't draw stars. Hold on, there we go. The blue, <laughs> the blue parakeet, I'm sorry, Darla. I can't draw stars. <laughs> um, the Blue Parakeet by Scott McKnight. It's a weird name for a book, but it is a great book on understanding the scripture. Um, those are two books I would highly recommend for understanding kind of the story and where things sit. And I hear you if you're saying, but Phil, I don't, I don't like to read or I don't have time to read. I'm going to let you in on a little secret. I've read both of those books, but I've not actually physically read both of those books. I've listened to them, and I'm like, those are really good, so I want an actual physical copy of them. So... If you get like a commute, a car ride, you've got, you get like to walk, you're out working in the lawn, whatever it is, give them a listen. And a throwback, because we were talking about libraries, you've got a public library card, there are a couple of apps that actually allows you to get audiobooks for free. Um, one of them is Libby, I don't use Libby, but the other one is Hoopla, and that's where I list, listen to both of those books. So if you got Hoopla, if you don't have Hoopla, get Hoopla. And you can, you can listen to these books there. So those are two book resources that I would recommend for understanding the scriptures better. And then, of course, we have Bible Project. Go to BibleProject.com. They create explainer videos of every single book in the Bible, word studies, theme studies. I mean, they've got hours and hours and hours of resources all divided up into, like, five-minute videos um, that are so well done, like, great visuals. I would say that the Bible Project, I think, is the single greatest tool available to the church today for understanding the scriptures. So check that out. Um, those are the resources. And there's one last resource that's not actually something kind of physical that's going to inform you. But I don't think we can truly appreciate and understand and apply the scriptures without it. And that is other people. Um, one of the things that's happened for us because of the time and place that we live, we're very individualistic, right? Everything's about me as an individual, as a person, right? So I read the Bible. It's my me and Jesus time. I read the Bible on my own. But the scriptures historically were never handled that way. The Jewish people read it in community. In the early days of the church, the church would gather together and they would read it and understand it in community. Um, and so I would encourage you to put yourself in an environment where that can happen. Sunday morning's good. Sunday morning's, you know, great. We, we teach the Bible. We talk about that. But if you're not already, I would encourage you to get into a community group or a small group because that's what we do. We open up the scriptures. We talk about it. We apply it. 
Sometimes that's through a topical study. Sometimes that's through a book study. But it's a place and a space where you're with, you know, eight to 15-ish other people. You're sitting there in a circle, maybe eating some good food. And you're like, hey, I had this question. I read this. What do you think about that? Hey, here's someone else's input on this. And all of a sudden, because of the viewpoints and the input of other people, we get a more clear understanding of what the Scripture says. Um, so if you're not in a community group, if that's something you'd be interested in, I would encourage you to sign up for that today. Uh, if you sign up, you're not committing to one. You're just saying, hey, I'd be interested in joining a group. They meet during the week. Uh, we've got a couple different ones running. And so you can do that at the HC uh, Minerva kiosk today, or you can do that online during the week. But these are the tools. I want to encourage you to, to step in, step up, and to do this. You can do this, and I promise you will be so glad that you did because you will, you will experience Jesus. So... Those are the four rules. Those are the four things. Next week, we're going to start putting those into practice. Next week, we're going to ask the question, okay, so what do we do about some of those weird Old Testament laws? And specifically, what does the Bible have to say, and does the Bible support slavery? Because that's one of the things that gets tossed out there. So I'm going to pray for you, and we'll get the worship team back up here. God, thank you so much for giving us your word, uh, this written word that reveals to us the word become flesh, Jesus. Lord, we thank you for uh, just the authors that that you worked through, through the inspiration of your spirit. God, we thank you that this has been preserved faithfully for generations throughout the centuries, uh, that we can open this up, that we can understand it, and we can have an encounter with Jesus. Guys, God, God, I just pray that you would um, give us wisdom, understanding, and insight. God, give us a desire and a hunger for your word and to encounter you there. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.